Hello and welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. My name is Grant McGalliard and I have alongside with me my friend and my co-host Parker Fleming. Parker, how you doing, bud? I'm doing great. Um, the uh, the the sun is out. It's shining. There's there's no humidity. Grant, are you? Uh, this is not something that I've been really well acquainted with. Are you aware that there are places in the world where it can be hot and not humid? I'm not aware that there are places in the world that aren't humid. Yeah, this is this is amazing to me. Um, this is this is textbook dry heat. It is just uh, it is incredible here in uh, undisclosed mountain location, and uh, I can't believe that I ever. I mean, I think about like recruitment freshman year. I went down to Fort Worth and I, I had lived in Memphis my entire life. I was sweating my entire life. That's fine. August recruitment freshman year in Fort Worth. Grant, I ruined like multiple pairs of khaki shorts. I was just throwing them away. You couldn't launder them because I was outside and we were sweating so much. I mean, what are you, what are you supposed to do? How did we live like that? How did, it, how did I ever survive that? I know in frog camp, it was like, oh, we're going to all these really cool locations. And I think I did... Casa A or whatever. I'm like, great. So we're in Fort Worth. It's 100 degrees. I'm meeting college girls for the first time. And I'm currently sweating through this like very heavy cotton Ralph Lauren TCU polo my mom got me. Uh, yep. It was a tough time. It, it is currently, it was 95 degrees and storming in my neck of the woods earlier today. So oh, nice. I envy you and your your uh, situation. Parker, I will say you mentioned a dry heat. We, uh that implies mountains. We are talking about the West Virginia Mountaineers today. That's that's a little transition for you. But before we get there, we do have banter. And I think it would not be right if we did not engage in the biggest bit of banter going on in college sports today, which is Parker correctly predicted the winner of the College World Series. Congratulations, Parker. Um, my life, I'm, I'm never going to die. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, I will say just point of information. I, I didn't actually predict them. What I was trying to do with the baseball odds was say, here's what I would set odds at. Um, and without, without divulging too much on air, I've actually been approached about a pretty cool opportunity to play with some more sophisticated data and maybe do that. So that worked out really well. Um, but I will say the most likely outcome happened and that, you know, it, it feels pretty good. Um, feels pretty good. Yeah, so you can uh, tithe 10% of your winnings in the College World Series to Parker, and he will give you his Venmo if you ask it. No, just go to the buy me a buy me a coffee thing. Oh yeah, um, also buy Parker a coffee. And but 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 I, I'm saying I'm not asking for that at all um, anymore. Like people, I, I know there's a couple people who DM'd me, and one, some of you mfers are irresponsible sons of guns because the <laughs> the stuff you screenshotted. Surely you have like kids and a family. Don't bet that much, but um. Uh, the payoff was great, and I'm glad you guys won, and and all that. So that's that's pretty fun. But people yeah. have been. I meant to, I brought that up to say people have been very generous about tipping and um and saying, hey, this is great. I wouldn't have done this without your numbers. Like this is awesome. So I appreciate that. I put it out there as information, and and uh, glad that glad that it won some people some money. So then I had to ask you, Parker, where did you have your odds, your 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 simulations for where one Arch Manning would go to college? Because uh, I don't know if you saw. I don't know if you saw. Any of any of this coverage, uh, he's going to Texas, the University of Texas, uh, for yeah, reasons yeah. that probably have a dollar sign in front of them. Okay, so I'll re- I'll tap the sign and say, complaining. Not that you're doing this. I'm not saying this to you. This is the royal you. Complaining about losing recruiting battles because of NIL is loser behavior. Correct. Um, this is the future. This is what's happening. Everyone can pony up. You got to give your guy a deal. And it's good for the players. That's great. And if you're on Twitter talking about, you know, a 17, 18 year old kid going after money, you're, you're pathetic. 
Um, but, uh, clearly they had the right situation there. I will say because I, because my, you know, and, uh, Grant, I grew up an Arkansas fan. I have, I really, I like Arkansas. Um, I, I've been rooting for Ole Miss too much because of my baseball predictions. So let me bring them down a notch. They had Arch Manning out. They painted his name in the end zone. They did the whole thing and, uh, and couldn't close the deal. That's very embarrassing for them. Uh, and for Lane Kiffin. Um, but uh, obviously, Sark knows how to use the full faith and credit of the uh, institution of the University of Texas in a way that Tom Herman could not do because Tom Herman is um, grating and perhaps odious and not someone you want to be around. And Charlie Strong, for all his nice guy stuff, probably couldn't get as dirty as, as Sark is willing to. So the last Texas, last couple of Texas coaches had good recruiting classes, but never to the extent of someone who was willing to or let me say who was willing to play the game and able to coordinate the entire mass of crazy at Texas, which Grant, what have I said about what they need at Texas for years now? I've said they need someone to come in and say, shut up and let me win games. Yeah. And then we'll figure all that shit out. And it looks like Sark is on the path to doing that. Stephen Godfrey, our, uh, I could say our friend because he's appeared on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, it made a really great point about this on uh, one of the uh, Split Zone Duo Patreon shows a couple weeks ago, and he said it before, where he talks about how basically Saban did that at Alabama, where he came in and said, hey, shut up, let me do things for four years, you give me a lot of money, and we will win games. And by God, they did. Um, Parker, I don't want to necessarily... Was, was that the show where he said the ULM thing? The the theory yes. about ULM? Yeah, yeah. What Which, is that? Will you explain go, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to step on his block, but basically his theory was like, Saban, like, Maybe possibly through the ULM game, just and I think Godfrey was being a little facetious, but just to be like, look, like this is like we have room to improve, and I'm showing you right now, like we have to shell out more, both literally and figuratively for recruits, which I'm I gonna um, that turned around. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna text friend of the podcast Hunter Johnson, who is maybe the preeminent online bammer. And I'm going to text my uh, brother-in-law, who is an absolute insane Alabama fan, and see what they think about that theory. Your brother-in-law is awesome, by the way. Um, Uh, Yeah, he's he's pretty great. So I don't want to spend too much time breaking down the decision of a 17 or 18-year-old, whoever old Arch is, but I don't think it's necessarily surprising that he chose Texas, A, for the institutional reasons that you pointed out. Obviously, Sark is able to leverage a bunch of high-level boosters, and it's Texas. They are a national brand, whatever. But even if you look at, okay, like, his dad and his uncle played at Ole Miss. Like, not exactly a powerhouse college football program. Well, no, sorry. His Peyton played at uh, Tennessee. His dad and his granddad played at Ole Miss. Yeah. Not exactly a powerhouse uh, during the mid-2000s, although Eli certainly got us there, got them there. But I, I don't think Arch needs to go to Alabama or Georgia or wherever and win a national title to maximize his exposure and his quote unquote draft ability. He's going to get drafted. He's Arch Manning. If he does the thing at Texas, he's a legend. And if not cool, he can transfer out or do whatever. And he's still Arch Manning. It doesn't matter. And they're going, they're going to the SEC. He is going to carve out his, his, his legacy in the SEC. I, I totally get that. Grant, the thing that kind of piqued my interest, my antennas are up and waving a little bit here is that Texas currently has, now, with Arch Manning uh, committing, three extremely talented quarterbacks on the mm-hmm. roster and uh, three three quarterbacks who could start at most P5 schools and only one quarterback spot to play with those three, uh, three high-talented quarterbacks. If you have three quarterbacks, do you really have one? 
Well, if you play them all, uh, maybe not. <laughs> Although I believe, shout out to Nick Allen, CFB Winning Edge on Twitter, does some great data stuff. Posted a video of like Princeton ran a three quarterback thing a couple oh, years ago. That. Just like absolute bonkers, complete nerd ball, like terrible. But God, I love um, it. the reason my antennas are kind of waving around that, Grant, is um, there's there's a coach in the state of Texas who has made hay the last couple of years kind of turning one man's trash into his treasure, specifically with a, a, a former Texas recruit who lost a starting job and a former Oklahoma recruit who couldn't really break the starting roster there for, for Lincoln Riley. So, um, not, not you know, look, I, I love me some Max Duggan. I think that Chandler Morris is, is fun in some ways, but... Um, uh, I think that TCU's 2023 quarterback could very well be on the Texas roster right now, Grant. Hudson Card, come on down. Do you remember an article I wrote for Frogs of War? No, it's, whatever it is, but tell me. Yeah, I, that was a dumb question. <laughs> it's when uh, Jalen Hurts was transferring. And he was in the portal. And there was like some like Jalen 5% Hurts had, rumor. Had paperwork. At TCU. Yes. He started yes. paperwork at TCU. And I wrote an article called Dear Jalen. And it was mostly satire, and it was like, hey, like, we would love you to come to TCU. Totally get why you wouldn't do that. And I got more hate for that article than anything I've ever written. Um, I got called everything that was wrong with the TCU fan base. Anyway, so I'm planning on the Purple Theory Substack writing a Dear Hudson article. And just basically taking out everything in Jalen's name. Just putting Hudson in. I 100% endorse the Purple Theory Substack becoming only bits. Like Yes. (laughs) We're not writing any regular coverage, but when we have a funny bit, we're just going to go with it and throw it up there. Just That's launch great. it. Speaking of funny oh, bits, man. I have a transition for you. Okay. Do you think Kirk Herbstreit was doing a bit? Because Parker got really mad at Kirk. I think and Kirk Herbstreit is like capable Kirk. of doing bits. I think That's he's incapable of doing bits. Um, here, here's why I'm mad at Kirk Herbstreit. Um... One because he is the he is the epitome of coastal elite. Um, the dude is oh. on private planes, flying to like six different college football games every day. His carbon footprint is huge, and um, for someone who's like so involved in college football, like Kirk Herbstreit will start the day at game day and like fly to another game and call it in the afternoon, and then fly back to game day and call it. One, are you that important? Um, I, I just don't think an individual person is that important cosmologically that they need to do that. Two, um, clearly he doesn't enjoy college football because all he does is complain about it. And all he does is get on the college football playoff show and talk about how no team except Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, like one of the, you know, the elite SEC Big Ten teams can really compete for anything. Um, he argues against playoff expansion or even playoff reform. And uh, just just absolute like shill for corporate TV interests. And he talks about things, Grant. So that that alone is enough. But he talks about things. You remember last year he had the quote about like kids don't love the game. These kids yes, don't I love the game of football, yeah. and that's changed it rather. Okay, so this jabroni—that's a technical term. Um, this this jabroni who says kids don't love the game of college football signs a million million dollar deal to call. Uh, NFL games on Thursday night for Amazon Prime. So like not a cable service, not ESPN, direct streaming, you've got to pay extra for it. And then says, this is the juice or energy uh, of college football. The the thing that really grinds my gears there is one, he doesn't love college football. He just loves making money. 
and getting talking about college football. Um, two, he's actively participating in the NFL's takeover of Thursday night, which has historically been a college football staple. You think about Inter-Sandman, Blacksburg, yeah. Virginia on a Thursday night. You think about amazing Sunbelt matchups. That's not a meme, right? That's not like... That's not like Maction on Tuesday, right? I mean, North Grant, you're an ACC fan, like North Carolina. They they play games on Thursday night that are meaningful and fun. I think didn't didn't NC play Pitt? Maybe it was Miami on Thursday. Yeah, yeah. play Pitt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Thursday night is like a college staple, and the TV networks have said, "Oh, people are watching this. I bet we could put NFL in here and kind of uh, totally eclipse it." And, and Kirk Herbstreit is an active and willful participant in regulating college football to the to the second tier. Um, so for someone who talks about kids not loving the game, he's actively participating in the marginalization of the game. And he doesn't understand what's good about college football. Just, just plain and simple. I always liked Kirk just because he was on NCAA football uh, video games. And that was a big staple of my life going up. But then again, so was Lee Corso. So we all That's not the same Kirk. That's not, you're right. It's not the same. Kirk, I think in 2008 was like awesome. And I think Kirk is corporate. Pre Twitter. Pre Twitter Kirk. I'm okay. Pre Twitter Kirk. That's fine. Um, Do you remember how? Yeah. I just had a memory of like the golden era of College Football Live with like Mark May and Lou Holtz and Chris Fowler or Reese Davis. I get the two confused. They're the same person. The best at 11 p.m. just watching the highlights. Um, Absolutely. Here, here's what I'll say to tie a bow on that, and then we should probably talk about yeah. West Virginia because we're bantering for a while. But like, when when people like Kirk Herbstreet tell you what college football should look like in the future, remember that they're signing million dollar deals to announce NFL games on a streaming service on Thursday night um, and kind of take away from college football. Don't listen to them. Just right. don't and, listen and to them. It's going to become sort of a oh, I never thought the leopard would eat my face," said the lady who voted for the people for the leopards eating faces party. Where it's like, okay, if college football like goes down a road, we don't want it to go down or whatever, and the NFL sort of just kind of swallows Thursday night. Kirk does not have the right to say, "Well, you know, look what's happened to college football, dude. You participated in breaking down one of the cooler parts of college football that random Thursday game between a." The number nine team and the number 16 team of the country that is a complete banger. Like, you're just you're trying to overshadow it. You're, you're, anyway. Yeah. I, I, and, and what I don't get is, like, he does that shtick six days a week and then hosts college game day, which is supposed to be, like, a celebration yeah. of everything college football. And all they do is talk about the NFL draft now. So, um, anyway, I'm getting old and things are changing, Grant, and I don't like it. Well, if you don't want to talk about the NFL draft, may I interest you in the West Virginia Mountaineers? Um <laughs> <laughs> because let me tell you, they're, they're not going anywhere near that. That's place. the best one you've ever done. That was incredible. <laughs> that was inspired. I'm working on my transition oh. game. Oh Parker, my gosh, that was great. Do you have a quote for, uh, for West Virginia? I do from the great um, from the great uh, cartoonist Bill Watterson, who wrote uh, Calvin and Hobbes, and maybe Love is still Calvin writing Hobbes. Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. Love Calvin and Hobbes. Excellent. Um, there's never enough time to do all the nothing you want. Um, it feels like that. when Neil Brown came into West Virginia, there was just a lot going on. And what Neil Brown did was what Neil Brown needed was some air and light and space and time to kind of figure things out and 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 construct and and create West Virginia in his image. 
It feels like he hasn't had time to do that because their roster is turned over. They haven't had the quarterback that they've needed. They are, are they had the issue with their um, defensive coordinator and they had to fire him and and all this kind of turnover. And, and it's it's been a tumultuous tenure for Neil Brown. I feel like West Virginia fans talking to um, talking to Smoking Musket, Musket, they they really have felt like they went from man, we love Neil Brown, this is a great hire, to, oh, Neil Brown's rumored for another job? What a shame. That would be terrible if someone else took him. Like, that that kind of sarcastic uh, response happened, and, and it just feels like Neil Brown has not really had the time or space to, to make West Virginia in the image that he's wanted it to be. Yeah, with that said, he's been there for three years. I know one of them was a pandemic year, but he's almost a full recruiting cycle in, and it's still that sort of, well, if he just gets yeah, his that- guys, yeah. That's that's not an excuse so much as it is a maybe this isn't working. Right. Which uh, I, I think – so I, I went a little different direction. I, I went to this guy, James McMurtry. Uh, he has a song called uh, – uh, For, for our the, listeners that don't know, James McMurtry is like a very obscure country music yeah, uh, country I, singer. <laughs> if you haven't heard of him, I'm sorry. It's, it's pretty – sh- I should have explained this bit before I started it, but he's one of my favorites. And so I was just going to pick a quote from him for every team. Uh, are you you okay with me emailing James McMurtry and telling him that we mention him on every podcast and asking me if he'll come on I guarantee he'll answer yeah I mean I'll yes we'll talk about this offline but he will definitely come on the podcast if James McMurtry comes on this podcast we'll never do another episode that will be like what else do I need we'll just repost that episode every week (laughs) yeah but uh, this is from uh, Between the Horses and the Hounds Uh, you might hear some gears are grinding before I can get this rig turned back around and head back down the highway, winding back towards the horses and the hounds. So it's, listen, there's going to be some rough spots. You're going to hear the gears are grinding a little bit. But trust me, we're trying to get back on the highway. We're trying to get, you know, run with the big dogs again. Uh, but as you so rightly pointed out, time maybe uh, may not be quite on Neil Brown's side. Parker, so I, I'm, I hate to throw a change up at you real quick. Uh, and I know we need to do our first order principles uh, for the Mountaineers. But I wanted to ask sort of on a... A macro scale. You have a question here. Is Neil Brown on the hot seat? I'm looking back at the history of West Virginia football in recent years. So after the Rich Rod, you know, uh, Pat White, Steve Slayton years, all that, the high watermark was 2011. Uh, 70 to 33 of a Clemson in the Orange Bowl. Uh, Awesome. I remember watching that game. Every single receiver on both sides was open the entire time. There was not a shred of defense played in that game. Since then, 7, 4, 7, 8, 10, 7, 8. Dana leaves for Houston, 5, 6, 6. West Virginia might just be a, a mediocre team that sometimes gets buck wild and puts Will Greer in at quarterback. Yeah, I, I so, so if, um, I mean, yeah. that'll be a theme of our podcast tonight of like elite quarterback who breaks out um, might, be, might be important for West Virginia's success. But you have to ask yourself like post Big East – it's very similar to TCU, right? Yeah. Because West Virginia was absolutely at the top of the pecking order. They were kind of in this dominant position in the Big East. They were, they were, you know, 2007 happened. They were really exciting. Pat White, all that. And then since then, and since they moved to the Big 12, it's definitely been a power shift and, and an entire kind of um, paradigm shift. Um, I, I think that West Virginia might have a little more patience than the national scene wants to give them because Grant, my gut instinct, if this was any other team out on the East coast, I would say Neil Brown wins 10 games this year or we're, we're going, we're hiring Jamie Chadwell. Yeah. Yeah. 
Which I, I would and that love might to be that, that might be true. Like that might be something they're doing. I don't I don't know, but I would say that most like I think that West Virginia has a little more patience because they know, hey, we're weird, we're out of the way, but we also know we can get talent. Like look what I mean, we'll talk about this in detail, but like they've brought people in from the portal. They've lost people yeah. from the porter portal. The the turnover's been high, but they've brought people in. That's at least proof proof of concept that like theoretically you could get the right group of guys here. No, I agree. And I think they're doing a lot of great work behind the scenes to like kind of bring back some of the old rivalries. Like we'll talk like they opened the season with Pitt this year. Um, they play Virginia Tech. They do all that. Like they're really trying to kind of tap into that sort of history that they had in the past. Um, but I, How I about just those think, country road jerseys? Have you seen those? Yeah, they're very sick. But those as you know, awesome. that song is not about West Virginia. It's about the western part of Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> Parker... <laughs> Tell me about West Virginia. What are we looking at? West Virginia um, under under Neil Brown has gone. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I was just keep laughing. The way the, the way you started it was West Virginia is a land of contrast. Uh, five and seven, six and four, five and seven. No, six, they went six and seven last year. This is a terrible podcast. Yes, they went six and seven. That's a typo. This is a great in the, podcast. In the notes. Um, they were kind of on average. Grant, I love this echo ratio stat because it kind of just says opportunity-wise, like where were you? They were plus 1.2 in, in echo ratio, which is 67th in the nation. Very average. Their defense gave up a lot. Their offense didn't score a lot or didn't uh, create a lot of opportunities. Um, on, on offense, Grant, they were 13th in EPA per rush. Letty Brown is like an absolute monster to my credit because I love tooting my own horn. It's not a metaphor. Um, the, uh, I, I tweeted right before the TCU game, Letty Brown is a sleeping dragon and Letty Brown absolutely ate TCU's face off in that game. Uh, they couldn't do anything there. Um, 13th in EPA per rush, uh, opponent adjusted plus 0.163, 56th in EPA pass, uh, which is, is not very good plus 0.05. Um, overall on offense, they were 23rd and grant, they rushed 5% less than expected. So Neil Brown kind of has this funky air raid kind of flavor to him. So they definitely passed a lot last year with, with Jared Dagey, but, um, their passing wasn't as efficient as they wanted it to be on the defensive side of things. They were 90th in opponent adjusted defense grant 81st in pass defense, 94th in rush defense. One fact that I think is interesting. They were plus 0.000 Rush rate against over expectation. Okay, that's a lot. But all that to say, opponents did not have a strong tendency for rushing a passing against West Virginia. Context largely dictated um, kind of what they were doing. To me, Grant, that actually suggests a weakness. We have some non-monotonicity, right? Monotonicity, for those of you at home who didn't have to suffer through terrible math classes like I did, means more is better. It's kind of like a linear thing, right? So um, the amount of money you make, your salary is is is... Uh, monotonic, right? More salary is better. Not the case with rush rate over expected. You kind of have a U-shape. There's some differences there that are weird. If if teams are not exhibiting a strong run or pass tendency against you, that doesn't that 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 means that you don't have like a, a an obvious weakness. That just means that your unit is kind of bad, and opposing opposing offenses just said we're going to do whatever the, the the context dictates, and we're going to take it. That's a red flag for me. I'm going to pretend like I understood everything you just said. Um, with the caveat, and we'll talk about this in a minute, that a lot of what 
West Virginia did on offense last year, you could almost throw out the window because there's turnover pretty much top to bottom. Uh, with the exception of yeah. the offensive line, which we'll get to. But anyway, continue. No, totally agree there. That, that that's what I have. Last year they were they were six and seven. Honestly, they probably should have lost that Virginia Tech game. Grant they they had a twenty four seven lead, and Virginia Tech had first and ten at the seventeen, and then first and goal at the three. They had six downs to score, and they couldn't score, and so West Virginia won that. Uh, but the flip side is first Oklahoma. They absolutely frustrated Lincoln Riley. Yep. Um, and, and they had, but it really, really what's interesting there talking about that offensive coordinator turnover specifically is like Neil Brown had a great game plan coming into the first half and out of the, out of the half. The first drive was a 75 yard touchdown for West Virginia of the game. The first drive of the second half was a 68 yard, uh, 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 touchdown drive. And so they clearly had like a good script. But then when things got murky, they, they, their offense couldn't move the ball any consistently after that. Neil Brown in a space with our friend Anthony Treesh, um, uh, maybe maybe a month ago, said he's giving up play calling duties to Graham Harrell, who's coming in, and we'll talk about that. Um, but he basically said, I, I could not balance calling the game the way I wanted to and preparing for that and making sure that the rest of the team and all of the team, including the offense, was was up to my standards. And I think that Oklahoma game is like a perfect encapsulation of that. Of If Neil Brown can sit down and think about it for a while, he can scheme up an offense that can mess with you. Yeah. But can he scheme up an offense that can mess with you and then also ensure quality around the rest of this and, and all these situations and all that? Maybe he can't. And so that's why they're bringing in Graham Harrell there. Um, the only other note I had about their last season, they were down 17 to zero at the half, uh, versus Texas tech, absolutely embarrassing loss, just inexcusable. Um, maybe that's some of those issues about game planning and, and kind of, uh, organization and structure, but yikes, that is not a game that I would have liked to have lost. That game was at home. It was the week after the Oklahoma game. So it's like, okay, you get jacked up, like, you know, you're, you're hanging in there with OU, you lose. Then you come home and just like have a wet fart and lose to Texas Tech uh, by three. Not great. Although, as you said, okay, so down seventeen nothing at the half, and then win the second half twenty to six, but just not enough. There are no moral victories. There are no moral victories. Texas. No. Uh, (laughs) I will will say. uh, I guess you could see that as a sign of desperation with Neil uh, turning play calling duties over to Graham Harrell, but I think it might be a sign of. Maturity is not the right word, but just it, maybe there's some growth there. Maybe that's, hey, like he recognized that he can't do this and he brought in an OC that is, let's go ahead and talk about Graham Harrell. Um, that, you know, okay, I, so I think the college a, football desperation scale runs from zero to Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech right now, <laughs> <laughs> who just brought in the quarterback from Akron, despite the fact that he has two like P5 quarterbacks on his roster. He's like, let's bring the Akron guy in. Maybe something will happen. Um, I think Neil Brown is probably firmly at like a four on the zero to Jeff Collins scale. Yes, I think that's about right. That doesn't uh, mean he's not on the hot seat, but I don't I don't know that he's like I still think the the turning over play calling duties was a like calculated understanding of here are the here are the physical limitations of this job. I talked for a little bit with my friend uh Will Hall, who coaches uh, Southern Miss, really generous guy with his time, always always great with me. And um, he has a general manager for the first time this year. Mm-hmm. And they, he hired a guy that he trusts that's been a longtime assistant and said, hey, I want to be on the field. I want to deal with on-field stuff. I need you. I need someone I trust to deal with off-field stuff. College football mm-hmm. coaches all over the country are saying, look, 
I, the, even if I'm a CEO type, that means I have to delegate more and then spend my time in different places. And some of these smart guys like Will Hall, like Neil Brown are, are realizing, hey, just because I could run this G5 program in a certain way doesn't mean that I can I can succeed at the next level. I've got to build up an infrastructure where, one, I don't have a heart attack when I'm 44. And two, I can still maintain the quality that I want on the field. And three, I can maintain the quality off the field that I want. Maybe that's what Neil Brown's doing. Po- spinning sure, it positively. Yeah. Although I, it, it does smell a little of desperation. Like West Virginia fans are not happy with him. No, they're not. And if he doesn't make a bowl, I think he's gone. But I think West Virginia, well, we'll get to it. I, I do think if you're going to bring in an OC, you might as well bring in a guy that is a big name, right? To say, hey, look, I'm not bringing in just some rando. Like, I'm, I'm swinging for the fences here. Um, obviously, Harold was at USC before this. Uh, was at North Texas before that, where he and Mason Fine did some pretty daggum good things. And then he also, I don't know if you remember this, beat Texas as a quarterback at Texas Tech uh, with that throw to Michael Crabtree. So that was pretty fun. Um, I, I don't know how much USC film you watch. I watched just a little bit of it, just because I know personnel is going to be a little bit different. Um, it's it's a little bit of air raid stuff. I think I saw a stat where USC, uh, I think they ran the ball 40% of plays last year, maybe 41%. So... Um, let me um, hold on. Let me, I didn't. I didn't look this up. Let me pull this up really quickly. Yeah, that's yeah and that so was, USC that, that was not filtered for garbage time. I should say. So. USC rush rate over expected was minus uh, seven point six percent. Okay. Um, and so definitely air rate. That 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 grant just again to contextualize that is um, about twenty third. So right okay. there, like like. Notre, Notre Dame, who didn't have a run game at all, uh, SMU, USC, Wake Forest, like right up there. And yeah, they're like, that hey, sense. we're passing. We're passing a lot. Kind of a guy. Yeah. Um, again, I, I need to do better at, at, at explaining this. Rush rate over expected grant just takes down distance yard line game state and says, how often does the average team rush? And then do you rush more, more or less against yeah. it? So it accounts for kind of those game state variables, too. Well, and for a team that does not or for a coordinator that does not run the ball as much as the statistics would expect him to run the ball. He does have a lot of multi-back sets. And a lot of times those guys are sort of like an H-back kind of set behind the tackle. But he'll throw two guys in the backfield to do a lot of stuff with that. So it's not just like total spread. It's it's a lot of guys that are um, kind of moving around and really trying to confuse the defense, uh, you know, with, with some motion in the backfield. Uh, he's had good quarterbacks. Keaton Slovis performed well. I think he probably performed, I would say, better than expected as a freshman, although he kind of took a couple steps back, but I don't know. I'm excited to see what Harold can do in West Virginia, especially with, you know, the guys that he has. Um, we should start, I suppose, with uh, JT Daniels. Yeah. So, so one, I'm, I'm laughing at myself because I went up and looked up all these Keaton Slovis stats and then about 15 minutes before the podcast was like, Oh yeah, that guy is that guy's playing at Pitt. That's not the West Virginia yeah, yeah. quarterback. <laughs> That's the wrong USC quarterback. But, um, yeah, but, but I mean, JT Daniels, it's really hard to get a statistical read on because he hasn't thrown 100 passes in a season since 2018. Um, he he has to be uh, like 24 years old. He is only five years younger than Will Greer. And Will Greer is in his third NFL season. And Will Greer transferred and set out. Like, Will Greer was in college for six years. And JT Daniels is only five years younger than him. He's 22. Um, that, that seems... Okay, that's old. That's still old. Did you know, did you know Stetson Bennett is 24? Yes, I knew Stetson that's Bennett insane. is old as anyway, hell. Um, yeah, but so like you said, hard to predict, but a guy that, I mean, five-star prospects set a bunch of records St- in Los Angeles. Stetson Angelos. Bennett wouldn't start except that AARP is going to sue Kirby Smart if he doesn't start. So <laughs> It's ageism, and uh, we don't like that here. 
Um, Are you telling me that old people have the same rights as young people? That's you a very so. deep track off. That's a very deep track office quote. Um, it is. It so is. at the quarterback position, I think the big deal here is is we kind of the meme for West Virginia last year was Schrodinger's quarterback, right? Um, Jared Tate. I, I will push back on that. I never said Jared Dagey was a good quarterback. Okay, here's the thing. Jared Dagey, when he was passing the ball, right? If I look at his passing uh, passing pressure, Jared Dagey in a clean pocket, 70, 72% of dropbacks. He had a 71.8% completion percent. Um, he, he only had 1.2% turnover-worthy plays. Um he he, seven point nine yards per attempt, fourteen touchdowns, five interceptions. Like that is a very good quarterback season. But on the twenty eight percent of of plays where he was under pressure, five point eight yards per attempt, forty point two percent completion, five touchdowns, six interceptions. The problem that that worries me, and we can talk about why this might be different, is Harold because I looked up all these Keaton Slovis stats. Harrell with Slovis. Slovis was pressured about 22% of times. Uh, and, and Slovis actually had a bigger drop-off. Um, he was about 68% completion and then about 31% completion under pressure. A bigger drop-off under under uh, pressure. So that's kind of like when stuff hits the fan, how have you coached your multi-year starter to make decisions? It seemed like Keaton Slovis wasn't making great decisions under pressure. Jarrett Dagey wasn't making great decisions under pressure, but he was also not... Um, very talented under pressure. He's very sure. flat-footed. So I, I think that you can look at West Virginia's pressure numbers from last year and say, oh, I'm a little bit worried about um, kind of extrapolating this immediately over into the system, given that JT Daniels has an injury history, given that JT Daniels is not exactly a scrambler, given that West Virginia has struggled with pressure in the past. They do, and this is just an easy transition. The offensive line, does they do return all five starters. And Parker, would, they do. Would you, would you like to say it, or would you like me to say it? Returning production is good only when returning production is good. So okay, but we liked these guys last year. I remember, like James yeah. Miter, um, yeah, Yates, Nestor, and then yeah. Frazier, Frazier, and Milam. Like these are these are fine power yeah. five linemen. Like I think they had some maybe issues with coaching early on because they really got better down the stretch. I mean, Grant, they gave up seven sacks to Oklahoma State. They gave up five sacks on 14 pressures to Baylor. And then the rest of their games, it was like two, two sacks on 13 pressures, zero sacks on eight pressures, two sacks on 12 pressures, two sacks on six pressures, 13 on, or three, excuse me, uh, sacks on 14 pressures versus Minnesota. So like they really locked it down and got better. You can argue about strength of schedule there. Obviously Oklahoma State was one of the best um, pass rushing teams in the nation last year. But but maybe you can argue the offensive line got a little bit better. And sure. JT Daniels, with his experience and his talent, is a better processor than Jared Dagey. Yeah. Maybe we're going to have some better results on, on yeah. the passing game, which which wasn't awful last year, but it wasn't it, the sequencing was really bad. Yeah, and I think, too, in the passing game, you're going to lose a, a checkdown option with Letty Brown, um, who was, I think was a great check down running back, if I remember correctly. I can go look at it to confirm, but um, he is now gone. Um, and there's... I, I am concerned a bit about the West Virginia wide receiver room. It is thin as hell, I would say. It, it, it is, and it's... It, you you want to talk about, like, addition by subtraction? Because, okay, so Winston Wright transferred to Florida State. Um, yeah. 
Winston Wright is 21.2% of targets, 11.2 yards per reception. He dropped 4.8% of passes, which again, great. I, I don't mean to like toot our horn about last year and constantly go on that, but like, that's something we talked about last oh, yeah. year was like this wide receiver room just drops passes. Maybe that's Daigie throwing heaters. Maybe that changes. If you're trying to be optimistic about West Virginia, which we are, maybe J.H. Daniels has like 1% touch where Daigie had 0% touch. But, I, I mean, they, they they lose their top receiving option, their, their clubhouse leader in, in touchdowns. Um, and then behind him is not a lot of guys that inspire confidence. Bryce Ford Whedon is a top 10 um, volume returning guy in the Big 12. And he will be the guy. Maybe that's addition by subtraction because it was too confusing to try and navigate how to use both of them. And now they can scheme up routes for Bryce Ford Wheaton at a power five level. That makes me a little nervous to kind of say like, it's, it's hard to think that they were that bad that they couldn't figure out how to use both of them. You know? Yeah. I, I am a little bit excited about Sam James uh, coming back. He was their slot guy last year. Um, he was a slot guy with an average depth of target of 10.5 yards, which was second among like major receivers. Uh, for West Virginia, uh, and he only dropped what three balls on fifty nine targets, so not terrible. I mean, twelve yards per reception, five touchdowns. He, he's he's a capable guy in the slot. No, abs- absolutely. One one guy that I had circled, um, I, I like. I would be very interested in West Virginia having a tight end because they never have a tight end. They're they're mm-hmm. similar to Texas Tech in that vein. But I went back and looked at USC last year, and like Malcolm Epps, who is probably closer to receiver than he is a tight end only had 22 targets, one touchdown. What um, wasn't really used very, very much. And so I, I really think it's going to come down to these wide receivers and you start looking at these guys and they're, they're going to have to rely a lot on kind of these secondary receivers to, to be very productive. Um, I think I like Sam James Um the, the, Reese Smith is the other guy. I think Reese Smith and Caden Prather are both guys that they're pretty excited about. And again, it's easy when you have a good quarterback, Grant, to run down the field and, and catch the ball. We've yeah. seen that like TCU under Andy Dalton. There were some names, mm-hmm. um, that receiver there, who who did not necessarily belong, but who were able to you know go and get the ball. And so maybe some of these guys like Prather and and, and Smith, I, I, the the idea of like Smith and Sam James kind of underneath there um reese smith is like your textbook white wide receiver it's very he's danny funny. amandola like yeah exactly. Harrell was just gonna exactly. use him this yeah yeah Wait, and so did, did amandola and harrell play together at tech i think they might have uh i can't comment on that because i don't know off the top of my head but okay it wouldn't surprise me but yeah no, all that I, to I say agree. they might lose the check down option and letty brown who had um you know, fourth most targets on the team, 50, 50 targets last year at an average depth of target of 1.2 yards. So like maybe those two slot guys will, will kind of change that equation in receiving, but man, they, they, they really do lose a lot in the receiving room with Winston, Wright. Um, even as high at like Bryce Ford Wheaton is one of the better receivers in the big 12. Um, I, I the more I look into this, the more I'm talking myself into good quarterback, good offensive line. Maybe the skill positions matter a little less because of that. No, I think I, I agree. By the way, Amendola and Harrell were captains together in 2007. Um, oh, there you go. Yeah, so maybe, maybe a little bit of, you know, a little bit of experience there. Um, we should mention we're recording this on Monday, which is early. Um, at, like as of today, uh, Lynn J. Dixon transferred out of the program at running back. Um, so that's another guy. I honestly think that's, he wouldn't get to play I think a that's lot, a, but 
No, I think that's a that's a that's a um, like a status, like a brand name thing that people are focusing on because he was a Clemson transfer. I think Tony yeah. Mathis Jr. is the guy, and that's why he was transferring anyway. Like Tony Mathis yeah. Jr. is fine. Um, I looked at his highlight tape a little bit because our friend Gabe Brooks did not have a um, write up on him because he was a three star. His highlight tape in high school made me very nervous about like quality of competition because there weren't like a lot of moves or a lot of play. It was just like, oh, he's just running in space, um, which is fine. Like he's fast. That's great. Uh, I don't know that he's going to be anywhere near the force Letty Brown was, but I don't know that they're going to completely bottom out at, at, at the run game because of him, especially given that like Harold's going to pass so much more. True. True. Yeah. I don't think you have that sort of, uh, like you said, explosiveness, but whatever. As long as you can get three yards in the run game to set up some sort of, you know, air raid passing attack, that's fine. That's all they need. Yeah. So, the so overall, they're 116th in, in, in returning production on offense. A lot of that is like you lose your quarterback in Daigie, you lose your leading rusher in Brown, you lose your leading target in Wright. They clearly have a vision for like what replacing that looks like with Daniels, Mathis, uh, Ford Wheaton, and maybe maybe to some extent, you know, Prather and James underneath. Um but it, it does – when I started this this prep for this podcast, Grant, I was higher on West Virginia than, than when I finished. Yeah, I, I actually have caught myself into the offense, but I was already low on the defense, and it has uh, gotten worse, I would say. Um, yeah. It, the defense has been volatile for a while now because they've had a lot of turnover. They lost – remember, like, Tyke Smith was, like, all-conference yeah. and then transferred to Georgia. Like – there's just some weird stuff going. There's some weird juju in the in the West Virginia defensive room, and and looking at what they bring back and what they lose, man, it makes me very nervous about their ability. Like their offense will score, but can they stop anyone from scoring? Yeah, I, I think there is maybe some attempt to sort of establish some continuity and get rid of that bad juju. Jordan Leslie is the uh, is the defensive coordinator. He was a Broyles nominee last year, um, and he's a Neil Brown guy. He played at Troy, uh, but not under Neil, I think. And, uh, and coached with Neil Brown at Troy. So maybe there's some like, all right, get our system, get our culture in there, get these guys turned around. But Parker, that's all great. You just have to have guys to play. Like, I, let's start here. Let's start at the back end. I don't know who's going to play safety for West Virginia. I can't figure it out. I, I, you could tell me like a Madden create a player name and I would believe it. I, yeah, the, the roster here is pretty thin at, at safety. They, Sean Mahome was an undrafted free agent to Jacksonville. Um, you, you uh, look nah, at their like defender. other guys and who's yeah he's gone too yeah they 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 really lost a lot here they're um eighty uh, first in returning production on defense uh, sixty one grant if you just go to their like leading tacklers um the first guy that's coming back is uh, X Reed Low I think mm-hmm. uh, the linebacker and he is seventh in tackles they lost their top six tacklers um, yeah. Uh, Akeem Mesador, another big name, transferred out. Uh, he landed at Miami. You have the stat here, 20.1% of the team's pressures, 4.6% of their tackles as well. You lose guys up and down this roster, and they don't necessarily have people that can fill those holes, at least none that have proved that they, that they can fill those holes. Yeah, Mesador is a freak. Uh, his 2020 yeah. was like, he did not play a lot, and he just absolutely destroyed quarterbacks. Uh, so... I, I mean, the, really, really tough there losing Mesador and losing safety in Mahomes and, and just kind of not having an obvious fill-in for the safety there. Um, Dante Stills is back kind of in the run defense there. Um, 
he's he's a freak. Like they're they're I mean they yeah. they they're a force there. But I I really don't love this run defense. Again, I I said this earlier. They're 94th in rush defense and they lose, you know, six of their leading tacklers. They're really going to have to fill in guys up there. Um, the, the, the one thing that I think I can say positively about this defense grant is that both cornerbacks are coming back. Sure. Um, and, and, and if you look at their coverage grades last year, Charles Woods was an 85.4 and Andrew Wilson lamp was a 76.1. They led the team. And so that's definitely going to improve. Like that's a continuity, high quality cornerback tandem. Um, but if your safety room gets so weak that that leaves you exploited, uh, kind of out there on an Island, which is not, not great. Tooting our horn again. We call Charles Woods. We called him. Being I believe we did. Out of Illinois state. I believe we did. Um, so great. Okay. You know, you have Charles Woods, Nick Troy fortune. What a, my favorite name in college football. Now at UTSA, he's gone as well. It's well, just, okay. no... I'm glad he transferred to a fun team. I'm like, yeah, me too. I'm you sad see. he's out of the Big 12 because he's on the all-name team. But, um, yeah, uh, glad, he, glad he went to UTSA there. I, I, Grant, I'm just not – this feels like a defense of guys. It does not feel like there's an absolute dude. Maybe Charles Woods is a dude. I, I think he might but be. Like their middle, Stills is a dude. Stills is a dude. Their run defense between Stills and Taurus Simmons is probably the other guy who's going to take over that, that defensive interior role. It seems like their defense is not as formidable as a Big 12, as anyone else in the Big 12, uh, a conference where people are shifting back towards defense. It does seem like this is a little bit of that 2007 Texas Tech. We're just going to outrace you to the finish line. Um, And with the questions at wide receiver, I get a little nervous about kind of the balance of this team overall. Parker, I think I asked you one time, we had a really good discussion. Would you rather have trouble up front on the defensive line or in the secondary? But I think with West Virginia, the question is, would you rather have trouble up front in the defensive line or at linebacker? Because they run a three down. They got four guys there. And it's almost like you got four guys that are just kind of taking up space in the middle of the field that aren't stars. Again, I don't want to impugn these people. We don't know how good they'll be. Whereas up front, it's like, I, I don't, I'd almost rather have kind of four mediocre dudes up front and then say, okay, we can cover the sort of back middle of the field. I don't know. It seems like with the three down, you better have a daggum good linebacking crew or you're, you're kind of in a lot of trouble. Yeah, and I mean, uh, not this is a TCU podcast, and that's fine. But I think about like TCU situation right now. Yeah, I mean, I would I would rather have a huge like I would rather Jackson Player have followed his defensive coordinator to TCU. But <laughs> um, that like you you at least feel a little bit better about the linebackers knowing hey, a lot of the defense is designed for the linemen to kind of clog things up and the linebackers to make plays. I feel a little better about that, but. Um, yeah, West Virginia did not have like an excellent defensive year last year, and they're going to play a lot faster this year. And if they're going to score more, they're going to have to defend a lot more. This is, this is worrisome. Um, and this is really where kind of my enthusiasm for West Virginia, because you saw some of these sports books had them, you know, early lines had them fourth or fifth in odds for the big 12 championship. And that's, that to me feels like absolute ceiling best case scenario, because, um, some people are going to have to step up on this defense. They are. And again, I've tried to find guys that I think could be breakouts or guys that, you know, maybe, you know, we're not talking about that could really, you know, uh, surprise some people. And I couldn't, I I tried really hard. I don't know where those guys are going to come from. I mean, St. McLeod, I think will probably be a starting safety. Um, 
Nope, he's not on the team. No, he is. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I again, it's impossible to tell he's going to play safety for West Virginia this year. He's he's okay. I I don't know. There's just not a lot of. It's really kind of amazing that they have that they have 64% of returning production. A lot of that is like backups and secondary guys and, yeah. and all that. Like, it's just amazing that they have that much given how much they turned over. Um, well, some, some ancillary guys are going to have to be role are going to have to be more than role players this year on, on West Virginia's defense. And there were a lot of ancillary guys last year, at least 20 p- uh, players played at least a hundred snaps for West Virginia, at least 120 yeah. snaps. I mean, they were rotating guys in and out. Uh, the problem is that a lot of those guys are gone. <laughs> And, uh, and the ones that were there weren't necessarily, you know, shutting people down. Um, so, yeah, it's not really encouraging. I, yeah, okay, the the yeah. one guy that I'll highlight, okay, if I have to absolutely pick somebody to be like, hey, here's breakout guy, uh, Tej Olsen is uh-huh. a Juco guy, and he was third on the team in pressures last year, 21 to Akeem Metazador's 31. He's, I mean, redshirt senior, like super experienced guy. It looks like that, like dominant edge position is his to, to lose. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe something the way that Neil Brown ran that defense, or or they ran their, you know, he's an offensive guy. West Virginia ran that defense last year, really set the edge rushers up for success. Maybe Alston has that um, experience that he can fill that in. But again, that's that's a little bit grasping of straws of just like here's an athletic dude. But he hasn't really played a ton. Yeah, maybe they can play him at one of the stupid named positions they have. They have both Bandit and Spear listed on the roster. Again, these are not real positions. Please stop calling them things. They don't exist. I love football speak, man. You got to get that Bandit over to motion to cover the slot and the Spear. And they got the Jet X go double down dog. You know, you just got to do this. I was thinking about this before the podcast. We, we made fun of Oklahoma State for having Cowboy, which is obviously their mascot. Uh, Baylor, I think, has star, uh, which is what Petrie played. But if you're Baylor has Virginia, a star and a jack, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think they do. West Virginia, like Mountaineer's too long. I'm trying to think of like what you call a, like a West Virginia, but all the jokes I'm going to make would get me in trouble. So I don't necessarily know. What oh, you I call was going to special position. I was going to call it the Mountie, right? Like the oh, I love the Mountie. Yeah, the Mountie. Or, or, or you do the regulators and ride. You know, the regulators mount up. I think, uh, I, think I actually works. had lunch in uh, lunch in Charleston a couple weeks ago because we were driving through and uh, sat at the bar and there was this cowboy sitting at the end of the bar and he had a couple of beers and started talking. He said, "You know, I played Mountie for the West Virginia Mountaineers back in the uh, back in the seventies." He had some stories. I can only imagine what that would have been like. Good <laughs> uh, God! Uh, we never talk about special teams. We should give a, a shout out to kicker Casey Leg, the kicker. Which just kicks Dude. ass uh, every time I see it. That's a good name. That's a good kicker name. Um, he was he was born for it. They also have a punter named Leighton Beckdell. Are you familiar with the Beckdell test? Anyway, we're we're going down a rabbit hole here. Um, Isn't that like? A, are there enough women in a movie? It's in a movie. Do two women have a conversation? That's probably super- two two named women characters have a conversation that is not about the male lead. Mm. Is the Beckdell test anyway? Uh, Interesting. So good for West Virginia there. Okay, before we get to schedule... I would say that college football generally fails the Fails the Bechdel test quite often. Um, before we get to the schedule, and before we get to some of y'all's predictions on Twitter, um, any final thoughts, and, and what's your what's your one to two word uh, you know, feeling about West Virginia this year? 
I can go first because it looks like a push on the spot. No, no. Before I did all of this research, I really was going to be like high on West Virginia. I thought, look, man, they're they're putting the places in the pieces in on offense, especially at quarterback, and they they have a good offensive line. They're not going to drop off that much at running back. Um, they don't lose as much at skill positions as like Baylor does, for instance. And they're they're recruiting well, but um, I don't I don't know. I think about Oklahoma State. I said cautiously optimistic. I don't feel that way about West Virginia. I I, I feel like on the on the ledge about about West Virginia. I feel like maybe things are going to go well, but man, it, it does not take me two steps to jump off and hit the bottom of the canyon. Yeah, I, I think for me, my my two words for for West Virginia are by time. Right, which is, hey, like, prove that, you know, the Graham Hill thing is going to work. You know, maybe the defense isn't what we need it to be, but we found a couple guys that we can, you know, go for, even though I know Stills is a senior and I think Woods is a senior to the transfer. But by time, say, hey, listen, listen, like, we are on the up and up, show proof, and come back in 2023 with a new recruiting class and, and some, some unexpected dudes, uh, which unexpected dudes was actually the backup name for this podcast, I think. Behind the theory, yeah. Uh, okay. Do you want to do? <laughs> is a dude? Is a dude a lie if you don't come true, or is oh, it something God. else? <laughs> okay, we're going to talk about the schedule now. Um, Parker, you you open you open with Pitt on Thursday. Love it. I th- it's like one of the first games of the season, uh, like yep. in all of college pretty, football. Pretty early. Yeah. Um, you're at Pitt, but I think Pitt's going to be down this year. I think this is a winnable game for West Virginia. It absolutely is. One, at Pitt means at Heinz Field. So the, the home field environment's a little a little different there. Um, two, two I, I talked about this on the BetUS show, so I won't do my full like three-minute spiel about this. But um, Pitt loses their entire passing identity, man. Um, and, and that's really what they got them through a week schedule. Their defensive line is going to be fierce. They have a three headed monster running back, but I think that West Virginia can win this game. Um, and, and if, you know, JT Daniels is who we think they, you know, who he might be. And if the wide receiver drop off is, is no concern, like, like West Virginia's coaching staff thinks it is. And if the defense, you know, has unexpected dudes, I mean, they should win this game. I, I'm 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 going to call it a win, but I'm talking like 52. percent Yeah, I I think yes, I'm right there with you. Um, the next week, Kansas at home should be a win. We called that earlier this this preview series. Um, then we go to Towson at home, September 17th. Shout out to the Tigers, but that should be a win for West Virginia. Are they uh, ranked? Towson three and zero. Oh no. no 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 no! Is West Virginia well, ranked no. after they beat Pitt on Week One? Pitt's going to be preseason AP like thirteen, dude. They shouldn't be. No, I, I no. They, they'll be receiving votes. They'll be like twenty eight. Okay, I, I think that's fine. Um, at West Virginia, or sorry, at Virginia Tech, which is, is another Thursday game. Five days after Towson, you go play Virginia Tech. That's, it feels like a loss. How is West Virginia, or excuse me, how is Virginia Tech going to score points, man? That's a great question, but if there's any team you can score points against, points against it may be West Virginia. I, I think that I think that Virginia Tech cannot score enough to keep up with West Virginia. I'm I'm look, I'm rocking the four and zero. I'm there. I'm believing in them. Weren't we just talking about how we had gotten more depressed about West Virginia? Okay. Um, okay, yeah, but wait, wait. Yeah, because next week is it at can Texas. always get worse. At Texas, I think that's okay. a loss. 
It's at Texas after. This is the spot you want if you're West Virginia. Ideally, it's at home, but Texas goes back to back to back weeks. Alabama at 11 a.m. <laughs> that sucks. In Austin at 11 a.m. Then UTSA at night. That's gonna be that's gonna be tough. That's not like like not like a closer contested game. Just like that's not mail it in. Then they go to Tech on the 24th, and then they host West Virginia at 10 uh, on, on October 1st. Grant, West Virginia basically gets a free bye week there, right? No. Yes, because they play on Thursday, the 22nd. Oh, oh, sorry. I thought you meant like the game against and then Texas they host, the bye week. Sorry. No, no, no. And then they ho- and then they go to Texas on the 1st. After playing Towson, Virginia Tech, like if you believe in the body blows theory, Texas is taking a lot of body blows there. I'm not, I'm not calling it a win. I'm calling it like a 48% loss, though. I, I, I really feel like if everything's going right for West Virginia, they beat Texas there and take advantage of a really good spot. Body blow theory aside, I think this also may be the game where Texas says we are tired of having to deal with this shit and scores 50 and puts Quinn Ewers in. Um, Possible. <clears throat> by week, mean actual bye week to next week. I guess he's twenty twenty three, isn't he? I have no idea. Okay, all right. Uh, by you week you can always week. finagle things. <laughs> Baylor, another. They play three Thursday games in the first month and a half of the season. Thursday hosting game. and they host Baylor. I'm calling it a win. I'm doing. I it. think. I think. I think that's a win. Let me see. Uh, then we are at. I think in a shoot. I think if that is the shootout that West Virginia wants, Baylor cannot score enough to keep up with them. I should point out at this point, Parker has West Virginia at uh, five and one. Top fifteen, West Virginia Go, going to Texas Tech. We okay. I I don't know, man. I I called this a win. So I'll stick. I'll, I'll, sorry, I call this a win for Tech. So I'm going to call this a loss for West Virginia, and you called it a loss for West Virginia. This is the dumb game. Yep, this is the dumb game. Okay. Um. Let's see. So what are you? So are you calling it a loss? Okay. So I'm calling you're, it a loss. You're a, all right. All right. You're going back. So I'm at what? One, two. No, no. I call it a loss for Texas Tech or a loss or win for West Virginia. Uh, you called, sorry, you called it a win for West Virginia, correct? And I called it a okay. loss for West Virginia, okay? I think it's a dumb game now, but I, no, I stand by it. That's fine. Let's let's see what the West Virginia <laughs> record okay, does. I'm intentionally, the first week with Kansas, I did probabilities, I looked at my numbers, and then after that, I'm just doing vibes. I'll release my real numbers, nothing nothing matters, that's fine. Okay, um, let's see. TCU is next, homecoming on October 29th. That that is a winnable game for West Virginia. I I think I'm not afraid to pick against TCU. I think TCU wins this game. I don't know why. TCU has historically done okay in Morgantown. Um, it's yeah, and it's crap the bed but when West Virginia comes to Fort Worth. If if Sunny Dykes has games circled on the schedule, I feel like West Virginia has to be one. TCU Gary Patterson didn't beat, beat Neil Brown. Correct. And so if Sonny Dykes is, is, is scheming and saying, hey, here's what I need to do to kind of stay ahead, this is, this is the game he needs to win. I'm calling that the loss. Maybe that's a stupid game for West Virginia. Okay. Well, there's going to be another one coming up because Iowa State at Iowa State. Uh, I have Iowa State winning this beforehand. You had 
West Virginia winning this game beforehand. Stand by it. Okay. Yep. Uh, Oklahoma. That should be a loss. Although it is at home, and they did play them close last year, but it should be a loss still. No, give it to me. Give me, give oh, me OU at God. home this late in the season. OU has some depth issues. Give me West Virginia. We're we're talking wild expectations with two games left to go. What do I have them at? You have them at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and uh, two at the moment. Talk to your kids about a top fifteen West Virginia eight and two beats well, Oklahoma. It doesn't yep. last long. Home for Kansas State. That's a loss. I think they're going to lose that. And then Oklahoma State. At Oklahoma State yep, should also be a loss. I think they're going to lose that. So basically they come into the last two games of the season with, in your mind, two Big 12 losses, outside shot for the Big 12 championship game, probably playing the two teams they need to beat to make the Big 12 championship game and lose both of them to go 8-4. That, that is final three sucks, man. OU, yes. Kansas State, Oklahoma State, that's depressing. You and I, this is the most we've differed. So I have West Virginia at 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, Christ, I have them at five and seven. Huh. You have them? Okay. No, no way. They are closer to eight and four than five and seven. Holy cow. I, I, I disagree. It's just because of that Tech game. I, it, it, if you ask me again, I would say they'd beat Tech. But, um, well, no, I mean, yeah, but we basically disagree about the non-con, too. Just between Tech. Anyway, um, so I have a five and seven, you have an eight and four. Yeah, okay. We'll see. Um, so you have Jamie Chadwell as a West Virginia head coach 2023, and I, I do not. I think that's true. Poor Graham Harrell goes all the way to Morgantown for one year and then has to leave for Chadwell. Um, okay, well, he was going to live in a live in a box in L.A. if he didn't go somewhere, so there wasn't really another option. Yeah, property values are, are crazy out there. Okay, let's see. Um, we asked some people on Twitter. Uh, what's the expectation for West Virginia this fall? What's the biggest hurdle for the Mountaineers? Uh, our friend Melissa Trebowasser at the Coach Melissa. What is the temperature of Neil Brown's hot seat? We ranked it one to uh, Jeff Collins earlier. Uh, Longhorn Republic asks, please answer the question in the form of one to ten flaming couches. I'd, I'd say two flaming couches. Well, because zero, zero is is bad, right? I guess so flaming true, couches yeah. means they beat somebody. So answer accordingly. In that case, I'd say six flaming couches because that means they're gonna they're gonna beat Oklahoma sure. this season, right? They're they're keeping no, they're he's keeping his job. I think you get two flaming couches beating Pitt first game of the year, and then after that, yep. it's you boy. Um, okay, ten twelve network. Uh, can you get into the first five weeks three and two? Otherwise, six wins could be a struggle. Thank you, ten twelve. Uh, Hurdle. Do you really have enough guys on the roster to replace what's lost to the portal, especially on defense? Um, we have an mm-hmm. optimistic West Virginia fan. Responding here, the voice of the voice of Morgantown at underscore donkey rash. Yes and yes, Messador was the only major loss, I know, but the DL is still a strong unit. The defense has been sounded around with worse rosters in 2022. Have they, really? Has there been a worse roster? We gained a lot in the portal and have four more spots to fill. I guess eight and four or seven and five. Okay. Again, I don't I, honestly, I agree with that. I, I I don't believe that. I th- I think maybe I'm higher on the offense than him because I don't believe that about the defense. But I have about the same record. Um, also, I hate Twitter because it's like you someone responds and you're like, oh, interesting. Let me consider this point. You see the username and it's like lick my butt sixty nine, and you're like, what what am I doing here, dude? What is happening in my life that this is what we're doing? 
The Purple Theory Podcast is a free-ranging podcast that talks about a variety of subjects. Uh, and then Sir Taxalot says... It's okay. My, my father-in-law is in Europe this week, so he's not going to listen to this oh, one. So God. I can say something like, flick my butt 69 and he won't get mad at me. Uh, uh, <sighs> Sir Taxalot says, giving throttle about 28 in the first game of the season won't help, but I think he might be a pit fan. All right. So a, a wide variety of expectations for West Virginia. I do think this is sort of a put-up-or-shut-up year to where... I don't know. I'm not saying Brown's getting fired if he doesn't make a bowl game. I don't think I actually did say that earlier in this podcast. But I think it's just show improvement. Just, you know, get the Graham Harrell thing going. Don't get blown out by 30 against Pitt. Don't have every game turn into a track meet and lose all of them because you can't cover anybody. Be interesting. Win a few games and just truck on to 2023. Um, I, I think that's fair. They have, you know, they have a good quarterback on the roster. Um, and JT Daniels is a nice bridge. You don't have to play a young guy. Um, I, I really think if they win eight games, that's a pretty good success. Um, you know, you, you've seen the tweets about like, if JT Daniels is this good, he's a Heisman candidate, like all that. I, I, I think that's, um, hype and that's good to have hype around your program. But the issue here for this team is not going to be the offense. Like they, they, I think they'll be able to score. I think that Harrell, like losing Letty Brown hurts, but I think the shift to Harrell and the shift to passing, and if JT Daniels is healthy, um, this offense should be able to score. The the question on defense is who's going to play linebacker and safety, man? Like who's going to who's going to be in the middle there? Um, and, and that that's really what worries me. In the Big Twelve, Parker, how many times has West Virginia won at least eight games? Three since Correct. they moved. Correct. They won eight twice, and then they went ten and three in 2016. I'm just saying, I, I don't know. I think the ceiling's lower than we think it is. Also, very fun fact, and we'll get us out of here on this. This is the first uh, sentence in the history of West Virginia football. The West Virginia University football program traces its origin back to November 28, 1891, when its first team fell to Washington and Jefferson, 72 to nothing, on a converted cow pasture. Well. So it's been uphill since. It, it, yeah, it, it 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 can only get uh, it can only get better from there. <laughs> One might surmise. <laughs> Parker, this has been the Purple Theory Podcast. My name is Grant McGallier. You can find me on Twitter at Grant McGallier. It's spelled like it sounds with all those fouls. He's Parker Fleming. He's at Stats of War, and he is on YouTube. Parker, tell us about it. BetUS uh, College Football Channel. We not only had our show last week, we also cut up all those games from week one and week zero. So if you don't want to hear us talk for 45 minutes, you can just go find the game you like and then get some clicks in on on that, um, which is pretty dang cool. Um, Grant, I'll also be uh, on Big 12 uh, Radio on SiriusXM on Wednesday. I'm going to do a hit there. So if you're a SiriusXM person, um, you can listen to me uh, talk about Big 12 and uh, data and college football, which will be fun. I always enjoy hanging out with those dudes. So, um, yeah, that's a, that, I think that's everything for me this week. I've always been told I have the, uh, the face for radio and the voice for the written word. So, uh, congratulations to you. Uh, radio spots are really fun. I love the radio. Um, other than that, make sure to listen to all of Parker's stuff and we will see you next week when we preview mystery team X. So then go frogs. Go frogs. <laughs>